What's up, family? Welcome back to episode 203 of Curvy Confidence. I am so excited about this season. I feel like we have some amazing topics that we just haven't um, had on the podcast thus far. Um, Welcome to all of our new family members, by the way. Uh, You guys have been showing up and you have been showing out. So welcome to the family. If you haven't checked out any of our other episodes, please do. Uh, (laughs) I think that there are some things that you would really, really enjoy. Um, You know, guys, I'm going to be real with you. I have just been feeling this push to be my most authentic self. Last week, I had an epiphany. And that epiphany was that, like, I'm a dope person. Like, I'm dope. I'm pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever had that moment where you just looked and you were like wow like I'm a really amazing individual and for me it was powerful because y'all I have forgot like I'm not gonna lie to you I have forgot that I was just dope as ever and so having that moment I was like I looked in the mirror and I was like oh girl we've been spending all these years questioning we've been spending all these years crying and confused we didn't know what to do we didn't know da 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 and I'm dope and I'm not saying that I wasted my time and I'm not saying that if you're in that season that you're wasting your time because I think that that season was necessary I couldn't know how dope I was unless I had forgot that I was um that's a word oh I gotta repeat that for myself I didn't I would never know that I'm actually as dope as I am unless I had forgotten that I was dope right like I had to I had to get out of alignment so that I could understand what alignment meant that I could understand what alignment felt like and I could understand that I am the shit and I don't need anybody to validate that I don't need anybody to be in my life to make me more dope no 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 I am dope just as I am um, in my full package in my full glory with all of my curves with all of my back rolls I'm fine as hell I don't know if y'all realize, but like I'm listening to myself speak and I have like a little bit of a New York twang today. I'm working on a show right now in which I have to have that and it's sticking with me. (laughs) So no, I haven't woken up and forgot that I'm from Rochester and not from Brooklyn. It's just something that I'm like continuously trying to practice for this role that I'm about to play. And so that is what you hear. So Just stick with your girl today. We on a journey all together. Y'all know how we start this off. We always start this off with prayer. Um, No matter what your religious background is, no matter what um, you believe or where you are in your journey, you are welcome here. This is a safe space for every single person person. I am a follower of Jesus Christ and so I do recognize Jesus as the head of my life and I would like to start off with a prayer to him. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus, that's okay. You still my you still my family. You you still my sister. You still my brother. It's fine. Um, but I do like to just take these couple of minutes to just say thank you and to pay homage. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to connect with all of my brothers and all of my sisters. I thank you for the work that you're doing through Curvy Confidence. I thank you for the lives that are being touched. I thank you for the people that you are inspiring. I thank you for the little boy and the little girl who will one day listen to this and discover that they are just fine being who they are. They are enough, that they don't have to manufacture, that they don't have to be anything other than who you have designed and you have created because they are dope. I pray that as someone is listening to this episode with Doug today that they are inspired and that they are motivated to just go beyond anything that they could imagine that there are no limits that there are people there supporting them that someone is always in their corner I pray these things in your son Jesus's name amen y'all it's time for my favorite segment this is my favorite segment I know I can't sing so don't 
don't do me okay <laughs> but it is time for our, my favorite segment um ever and it is the gym of the week uh gym of the week is my favorite segment um because it's a time that like when I, I've, I've said this, but when I'm in production or pre-production for Curvy Confidence, like all of these signs just come to me or all these stories come to me and they're powerful and I enjoy them. And so this week I want to talk about a group of teenagers who were at the bus stop and they were at the bus stop and they were getting extremely impatient. They were just like, yo, what, like, where is this bus at? Where is the bus at? To the left of this group of young people was a was an older gentleman, and he was observing these these teenagers. He he would you know chuckle because he would see them growing more and more impatient. The bus was only about five minutes late, so he would chuckle, and he would just watch them because he knew his opportunity to impart wisdom on them was coming. In the distance, the teenagers began to see that the bus was coming towards them. Right, so they get excited. They're like, yeah, 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 the bus is coming. The bus is here. The old man with his very gentle demeanor looks at them patiently and says, The bus was always coming. How often do we do that? We're waiting for something in our lives, right? We're waiting for something to manifest, whether it be a dream or a partnership or a certain amount of money or even a paycheck. We're, we're waiting for, for that thing to happen. We're waiting for that thing to come. We are desperate for it. And we grow more and more impatient. We allow it to, to take over. We allow those thoughts to cloud our mind. Maybe we're not good enough. Maybe that maybe it'll never come. Maybe did I miss it? Did I miss my opportunity? Did I miss the bus? But in the distance, we can now see it. It's coming. And the truth is, it was always coming. We just had to wait a little bit. I share this to say, don't get weary in well-doing. Because in due season, you shall reap. Keep going. Keep fighting. Keep pressing. If your spirit has said that it is so, it is so. If you believe in all of your hearts that whatever you are believing and waiting on is coming, it's coming. If you receive the message that it is yours to have, it's yours to have. And no time, no season is going to change that it is yours to have. But you have to stay in position and you have to stay waiting. Don't be like the teenagers waiting on the bus. Be like the old man who always knew it was coming. Keep your peace because it's coming. All right, y'all, it is time for me to highlight an entrepreneur. Uh, I love entrepreneurs. I love them so much. One, because in my own right, I am one. Uh, building a podcast is hard, y'all. Like, it is hard. Uh, especially when you have other things that you're doing. Like, there are podcasters who, who do this as a full-time job. All power to you. But right now, I'm not in that situation. <laughs> I am a full-time MFA student. And if you don't know what that means, it means my life is hell. It means that uh, my mornings sometimes start at 8.30 in the morning and they don't end to 11 p.m. at night. Uh, and then I find time to podcast. And I'm not saying that to, to pat myself on the back. I'm saying this as a setup for uh, the entrepreneur that I would like to highlight. Uh, the entrepreneur I would like to highlight, she's actually going to be a guest on a later show. And her name is Martina Lindo. Uh, she has is a podcaster and a blogger. And she has a podcast by the name of full bloom she is my spellman sister and i just wanted to shout her out because it's hard out here right building a podcast building an audience is hard work uh but she is doing it and she's a wife and she's a mother and she has a full-time job and she's juggling all of those things and i just want her to know that here at curvy confidence we support her and her mission we believe in what she's doing uh what she's doing is extremely powerful and we're just grateful to be on the journey with her um she's a part of our family uh, and her episode comes on next week so i hope that you guys will tune in um to not only to that episode but also to her podcast again it is full F-U-L-L Bloom, uh, the podcast. 
All right, y'all, it is time for our interview. Uh, I am so excited about this interview because one, I am a curvy actor. And so this conversation is extremely relevant to my life, but it's also extremely relevant to what is happening um, in our entertainment industry right now. Um, Recently this summer, I was in a show with a young woman by the name of Sarah and Sarah tagged me in a post on Facebook um, and that that post made me aware of a review that had been written um, and the the review was of a of a show at Great River Shakespeare and the writer said some pretty hurtful things about a voluptuous woman playing a warrior Um, and basically saying that it was unbelievable uh, that this person could be a warrior because one, they're voluptuous and two, they're black. Really drawn to it because of the response of the staff at Great River Shakespeare. I thought that they handled it in a way that was so inspiring and so where our entertainment, where I hope that our entertainment industry is headed. It um, it did not isolate, it did not um, condemn, but it taught a lesson in love. Uh, Doug is joining us today and he is artistic director of Great River Shakespeare. And I first met Doug uh, when he came to my school to hold auditions uh, for this season. And I think it was really just to kind of get to know us, but uh, Doug was, so kind and so open and so receptive so when I saw this I wasn't surprised at the response um, but it also just made my heart smile because this is where we're headed and so I want to give a little bit of encouragement to anybody who's listening to this who's in entertainment or wants to be in entertainment or even in an industry where their size can sometimes be be viewed as a burden or kind of get in the way that you're right on track and that that our community is learning and that we're headed in the right direction. So don't give up, you are more than enough. And there are people that see you and there are people that respond to you. Um, and I believe that if you listen to this interview, you will see exactly what I mean. I'm not gonna keep it from you any longer. Here it is, check it out. Let me know what you think. Hey, Doug. Hey, Brittany, how are you doing? Good, good, good. I'm so glad to have you here. You are my fellow Cymbeline lover, so uh, I am excited about that. <laughs> that is great. I, I don't meet that many people who truly love that play, but it is, it's is—it's my favorite play. I just love it. Yeah. So It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, I did tell the people a little bit about who you are, but please let the people know who is Doug. <laughs> sure. Oh, boy, that's a complicated question. Well, let's see. I can say I am uh, Artistic Director of the Great River Shakespeare Festival, which is a summer Shakespeare Festival up in Winona, Minnesota. Um, I have uh, I spent a good bit of my career um, as an actor. Uh, I now direct. I direct both theater and opera, and I choreograph fights. And recently, I've been training as an intimacy director. So I am an apprentice intimacy director right now with uh, with Intimacy Directors International. Oh, that is so awesome! Do you know Erica Vannon? I do. Yes, yeah. She was uh, she was my assistant director this summer up at Great River Shakespeare Festival, and she is fantastic. She's she's terrific. Yes, yeah. she is. Yeah, she is awesome. She is awesome. Um, so you spoke a little bit about your theater, but if you don't mind, can you just tell us a little bit about your theater, about the festival, what the mission is, um, and what you guys are all about? Sure. Yeah. Well, we're a summer Shakespeare festival, so we run. We're in performance for about six weeks every summer. We run four shows uh, in rep with an acting company of about sixteen people. We're equity, you know, an equity company, and we get actors and technicians and designers and directors and stuff from all over the country uh, who come together to do the plays. Um, In terms of mission, you know, we're really, well, at least I think theater is, it's one of those things that can really bring a community together. It is one of the rare places anymore where we all get together in the same room and have a conversation together. Um, And when you're doing plays of Shakespeare or, you know, the kind of plays we try and choose uh, are plays that are going to explore the human spirit. So, you know, in a kind of in a subtle and nuanced way explore what it is to be a human being and when the whole community comes together in a room and is seeing those stories together and reacting to them together um it creates a kind of empathy. I mean, it really creates community. It, it is the place where we discover that there is more that brings us together than separates us you know I think especially in this day and age we have 
uh, we have so many, we're, we've gotten so good at putting ourselves into camps and pointing fingers at each other and, you know, sort of dividing ourselves up. And uh, when you see plays by Shakespeare, or really, I mean, there's a lot of theater that you just have that human experience, live with other people, react with other people. Um, then all of a sudden you discover what, what we share as a community. So we really believe those kind of nuanced, subtle conversations are what really builds community. Yes, that is awesome. Um, I'm really, really impressed by the work that you all did this summer. And there was an article that, that did come out that talked a little bit about the work that you did this summer. And there was a sort of, you know, an adverse reaction to it. Can you talk a little bit about what that article was about um, and how the community responded yeah, to it? Yeah, sure. And, and I think you're talking about the review that came out about our production of Macbeth. So in the, um, in the local newspaper, um, you know, I should say, first of all, and we can talk more about this later we've been doing you know we've been doing a lot of work on on diversity and inclusion and it's been a multi-year project to, to sort of make that happen and by and large the community the community of Winona has responded really well to that and it's been it's been a really positive experience for the um for the company but you run into you know you run into hurdles along the way and you know I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we go along but the specific thing that happened so we had this review of the production of Macbeth and we are as a company we are moving toward gender parity in our company so this year we had seven you know a Shakespeare Festival, traditionally, you know, if you have 16 actors, you know, in the past, you might have had three women and 13 men. That wouldn't have been uncommon, or even two women and 14 men out of 16 actors. So we're moving much closer to gender parity. This last summer, we had seven women and nine men. And then next summer, we will have actually eight women, eight men in the company. But that, of course, means that you have to have parts that were written for a man uh, played by a woman. And you can approach that a number of different directors uh, um, in a number of different ways. Um, the way that the uh, the director of our production of Macbeth approached it, he had done some historical research and discovered that there were there were women who were warriors, who were thanes in Scotland at the time of the play Macbeth. Um, so he said, "Okay, I want one of the thanes to be a woman." So we cast this woman um, in, in the uh, in the part of one of the thanes in the show. And in the review, the reviewer said there was just kind of a it was a thoughtful review for the most part, um, but there was just kind of a snide comment at the very end where the reviewer said, "Well, if you." really have to have women playing men, maybe you should choose somebody who's not quite so voluptuous to play that part. Um, and we took offense at that for, you know, for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, so we, we went straight to the newspaper and we said, look, you know, this is really inappropriate. And the, the newspaper responded, the editor of the newspaper responded actually very positively and right away. And they immediately pulled the review down. It's a small town newspaper. They're short staffed. He said, uh, you know, he hadn't actually read the review all the way to the end before they put it in the newspaper. Um, the writer of the review is, is a woman, um, which I, I don't think lets you off the hook in that case. Um, but the places where we took, you know, the, the place we took offense to it was really just the idea that body type dictates what a woman can be or what anybody can be for that matter. But just because you are voluptuous doesn't mean that you wouldn't be a warrior or you wouldn't be a leader. Um, seems offensive. Uh, it's also untrue. I mean, we certainly know that from you know, from from women who are in the military and women who are police officers. I mean, we have plenty of we have plenty of you know sort of modern warriors who are of all different body types, um, and it really perpetuates a stereotype that uh, that the body type that you have is going to define what you can be. Um, then, sort of in in addition to that, just sort of purely on body type, then the woman. Uh, the woman that was being singled out happened to be an African-American actress. So it's a very particular singling, singling out of a body type of an African-American actress. And, you know, and we found that really particularly offensive just because of the way that, that African-American bodies have been used in the history of this country that, you know, we, we've, we have a country that is, that is, uh, you know, we have a country where, where a lot of the economy was built on slavery and, and in the ways that African-American bodies were used. So I think anytime you're making a comment of that nature on an African-American body, and especially if it's a white writer writing about that, it's really, you know, that becomes particularly offensive and particularly something that we should just, you know, we just have to acknowledge and call attention to and say, A, it's not right. And we just need to keep noticing that and say, you know, it's, it's not appropriate. Um, 
so we wrote uh, we wrote an, an, a letter to the editor. A sort of they gave us space in the newspaper to write a response to it, in which we said all of that, you know, and also offered respect for the writer who was, you know, the the writer herself is is a woman in the community who is a pioneer um, in terms of what women can do in the community. She's an older woman and has been uh, was actually at one point the editor of the newspaper and was a real trailblazer for women's roles in the community. So we wanted to respect her position. So we wrote about that, but then really came out pretty strongly about, you know, about why this was inappropriate. Um, and the response to it actually from the community was great. We got, you know, we certainly got some pushback from people who said, uh, but only really a very little from people who said, well, you're being overly politically correct on this one. And it's really just a joke and don't be, you know, a little bit of that, but really not very much. For the most part, the community responded, you know, with a lot of gratitude that we had bothered to, um, that we bothered to to single that out, you know, that we bothered to that we had gone out of our way to make sure to say, hey, we can't talk like this. We we want to be a community. We want to welcome everyone. We want to respect everyone's voice. So we can't talk like that. Um, and then from our company, as I said, we've been doing a lot of work on diversity in the company. But you know, and you know, we can talk a lot more about this. But but the thing we've been learning is, you know bringing a diverse company into a small town in rural Minnesota is one thing, then you have to make sure that those, uh, that once you brought in a diverse community, that all those voices can be heard. And those voices aren't being silenced in certain ways. And this felt like a way that was really silencing those voices. Um, so within our company, we had a really a strong and positive response um, of, you know, basically, thanks for having our back, which, you know, of course, we, you know, we, we always will with our company members. Um, yeah. yeah, that is that is that is first that is beautiful. First of all, as a curvy black actress, I want to say thank you, and I think that um, that is reflective of who you are. Because I remember when you came to the University of Iowa and you auditioned us, and I went into the room, I immediately felt welcomed. And that's not as someone who's in a larger frame and also black and auditioning for Shakespeare. That's not always mm -hmm. the case, right? But with you. I, I felt immediately welcomed. Um, and so when I when I read the article and I heard about what was going on, but I also heard about the response and the action that you and your company took, I honestly wasn't surprised because that's just the energy that you give off. You make everybody feel welcome and make everyone feel included. Um, so first of all, thank you for that and uh, for the initiative that you took. Um, can you talk about, because unfortunately what happened with that article and what happened this summer, it's, it's echoed throughout our entire mm -hmm. industry, yep. right? In the theater world, in the classical world, in, in film and television. Can you talk a little bit about how this is something about what your thoughts are about how this is echoed throughout the entire industry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should say, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad it comes across that way. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it does come across echo, uh, you know, as, as welcoming, uh, you know, I will say for myself as a, you know, older white cis male, you know, this is, this is all a journey for me because it's all, you know, it's all learning. And I don't know that I would have responded that way five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Like it's all a, it's all a journey for all of us. Like we're all, we're all really trying to learn. Um, the, the great thing, you know, the, the thing that I've been learning and learning a lot from, you know, from some of the actresses that I've, that I've been lucky enough to work with and from lots of other people. I mean, Boy, that that idea of body type, because I got to say, you know, if you'd asked me if you'd asked me 20 years ago, certainly, but maybe even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, like, I think I would have had a very different impression of a very different idea of what casting and body type meant. Um, and I think, you know, I'm I'm glad to see that as a society, a lot of those things are changing, like just a lot of the way we. We're, we're learning to we're like we're learning to see each other a little more clearly and we're learning to. Um, we're just learning to, boy, I, I don't even know quite how to put it. It is not just that we are sort of learning to be more generous about how we see other people, but I think we're actually understanding as we're actually beginning to, um, because we've been presented with more images of many different body types, we're beginning to see a lot more different body types as beautiful. Um, and I think that's really, I, I mean, I really do think that I've seen a change in my career for for how you can do that. Because the argument always is, so, you know, I don't know, you're casting Romeo and Juliet. So you're going to cast your Romeo or you're going to cast your Juliet. And probably much 20 years ago, much more strongly, your Juliet. And you would say, okay, so your Juliet, 
you want the audience to see Juliet as Romeo sees Juliet. So he's in love with her. So you want to see somebody that you fall in love with. And I think 20 years ago, there was a really narrow definition of a woman that you would, you know, that you would potentially fall in love with. And a lot of that would be physical and a lot of that would be beautiful. Um, and in fact, we find it a lot in Shakespeare because a lot of the most, you know, a lot of the positive, when characters are described as being really positive and someone you would fall in love with, it often is about physical beauty that you're describing. Um, so the fact that we're sort of changing our ideas about what, that, that we're opening our minds up to what physical beauty can be, I think it, I don't know, it opens up a, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities. I know it certainly does for me, but as I say, it's a, boy, it's a, it's a journey for me. It is, it is great I I appreciate as someone who is casting people that I feel much more freedom to cast the actor that I want in a role without worrying as much about whether they physically fit the, a particular type, because I know the audience will go there much more easily. So the fact that we're all on this journey together helps everyone. And then, you know, and then I got to say, um, as storytellers, I think we have some kind of moral obligation too to keep on pushing it forward. Because if you always present the same story, if you only present, like if you're only casting your Juliet, say, like if you only ever cast, you know, Finn as being beautiful and someone you can fall in love with, then you simply perpetuate that story with your audience. Whereas as we begin to open up what we, you know, what we see as beautiful, what we see as, well, what we see as all different things. I mean, in this particular case, we were trying to cast someone who looked like a warrior, you know, who looked like someone who could fight, you know, so the the more we as storytellers expand that definition and then show people a different different definition then the more they're able to go with it as we move along yeah um that is absolutely you said the the more we open up people the more they they are willing to go on yeah. that journey with us and move it along how do you see like what industry or what 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 part of this industry do you see kind of making the most strides in more diverse and inclusive casting Ooh, that's a really good question. You know, it is all over the place right now. It is, you know, it is it is common all over the place. And I think a part of it is, um, well, okay, all right. Let me tell you a story about um, about uh, gender blind casting, like like switching the gender of characters. So in our company, uh, we did Shakespeare in Love two seasons ago, and the story of Shakespeare in Love has. Um, you know, the, the main character is pretending to be a man so that it takes place in Shakespeare's time and only men were allowed on stage. So the main character is disguising herself as a man so that she can be in the company. Well, because of the, because of the gender balance in our company, we had women who were playing men who were part of that acting company. So the, it was a, it was a woman's body. The, the actor was a, was a woman's body, but it was playing a character who needed to be a man. Um, and the, and the story sort of hinged around the idea that it was all men in the company, except for this one woman who is pretending to be a man. So I thought when we cast that, I thought, well, the audience could legitimately be confused or the audience could legitimately complain that you've got, you know, you've actually got four women up there disguised as men, but only one of them is supposed to be a woman disguised as a man. Um, and I thought, well, maybe the audience could be confused on that. And I got no comments on that at all. I stand in the lobby all the time and I hear from my audience, the audience is willing to use their imagination. Like they were absolutely a hundred percent on board with that. They had no problem with that whatsoever. And it was that moment that I realized that the audience is actually ahead of us. The, the audience is like as producers and as people that are casting, the audience was way out ahead of us. Um, I mean, I think it's been proved over and over, um, you know, when Black Panther came out, you know, clearly the movie industry said absolutely a hundred percent audiences are not going to go to a, to a movie that has, you know, that has all people of color as all the main characters. Um, uh, what is it? Crazy Rich Asians coming out, you know, Wonder Woman coming out with a superhero who's a woman, um, uh, you know, I think I think we keep on over and over and over again, sort of disproving what the you know, sort of things that people accept as the common truth. You know, they just keep getting dis disproven. Um, I was just seeing. I was just in New York, and I saw you know the the Oklahoma that new production of Oklahoma on Broadway. You know, Lori, the main character, is played by an African American. Ado Annie is played by a woman who is in a wheelchair. You know, Hades Town, which is the big hot new Broadway musical. It's uh, it's an Asian American woman who's playing the main character. Like it's just 
I mean, I think they're, it's kind of busted open sort of all over the place. Yes, it, it has. I'm so excited. I want to talk to you more about um, seeing women and men of different body types yeah. in roles, right? Um, and there is this new movement. I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's this new movement um, that is becoming really popular and really kicking up some steam. Um, and it's about putting plus size bodies in in uh, the role mm. of the love interest, right? So that kind of what you were talking about earlier was like, you know, big people are beautiful, big people are sexy, right? And we want to see all shapes and sizes um, in these roles and it not be a topic yeah. of discussion, right? Because we have we have This Is Us, right? And, and Chrissy is beautiful, but they talk about her weight a lot, right? But what if, what, what if it was a role that she was in, she could be beautiful, she could be sexy, she could be a wife, a mother, and it not be something that we talk about? Whose responsibility do you feel it is? Who Whose shoulder does it lie on to make this big yeah. change happen? And is this change as big as yeah, we're well, it probably is. I mean, I, I'm sure it is, yeah. I don't know, man. I think, yeah, gosh. Probably lies on it. Probably lies on all of it because now you know. As I go back, I'm thinking. So I work in opera quite a bit, and of course, opera has opera has been willing to ignore body type for a long time. It's funny because the opera industry is actually moving a little bit the other direction now. They're starting to insist that singers be, you know, that 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 singers be, um, you know, more. That, singers, that frankly, that singers be be thinner and be in more physical, you know, better physical shape. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind oh. of funny. I mean, there's there's there has always been acceptance of all of all body types in opera because um a because there was a strong belief that that actually bigger people would would just naturally that would actually help the voice um but really if you've got the voice in opera it's always been if you've got the voice then you sing the role and it doesn't it it really doesn't matter and that is it is changing it is changing a little bit back the um back the other direction but yeah, and and I have to confess for myself in terms of casting, I probably haven't done that yet. I don't think I've put a bigger body in, you know, in the love interest role in something I've cast, which is probably a pretty good challenge for me to say um, how what what is the what is the unconscious bias that is causing me to say you know to to not cast that way. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, it's really got to be. It's it's really got to be on all of us, you know, just to see things differently. Yeah. As someone who is on the other side of the table, I don't know if I don't know if we talked about this when we met all those months ago, but you know, I used to be on the other side of the table. Um, I was a casting associate, um, but oh, okay. on the film and TV yeah. side in Atlanta, uh for yeah, for a long time. My first job out of college was at Tyler Perry Studios, and then I, oh, I moved okay. on from there. And so uh yeah, I was there for four years and kind of worked around, you know, with that you're freelance, so you can do a lot of different things. So as someone on the other side of the table, how do you think that we begin, like, is it the actors or, or how how do we begin to facilitate conversation um, in order to move towards, you know, more inclusive casting yeah. as it pertains yeah. to body Boy, types? That is a good question. Well, it's partly, I mean, a big chunk of it is what you're doing. I mean, calling attention to it that, you know, we, we begin to talk about that. And then it's for, you know, it's on acting coaches in school to not tell people that, you know, I can't believe we have an apprentice actor training program at Great River Shakespeare Festival. And we get, you know, actors that are just coming out of school. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of stunned how many of them, you know, they really want to, one of the first things they want to know when they're out in the professional world is they're like, what's my type? What's my type? Because they've been told in school that type is going to be really important. And they're not wrong. Like those teachers aren't wrong to say, you know, that, that your type is important because that really used to be true. It's just that type is changing so fast, you know, and we need to not define people. You know, you need to not tell if somebody is, you know, a larger body type that, you know, give them the Juliet monologue, give them that, you know, give them the ingenue roles and men as well, you know, give them the Romeo speech. Don't necessarily say, oh, well, you're a bigger body type, so you're going to be full staff and you can do, you can do Oberon, but I can't give you, you know, Demetrius or Lysander. Like I've, I've only got to give you, um, you know, there's only certain roles I can, I can give you because actors, because I will say actors do it to themselves when they come in, you know, they, they have learned not to do, um, you know, not to do certain speeches if they are a certain body type. Um, and that, you know, it'll certainly help us as directors to to see it if we just, you know, if we just see people doing it more often. I don't know. Ultimately, it falls on us as producers to just take the risk and do it. Because I, I got to believe it's going to be one more thing where our audience is ready to go with us. Um, and we, we just we just don't trust it. 
Um, you talked a little bit about earlier about how diverse um, your company was. Can you talk a little bit more about what diversity exists within your company and why that is something that is very, very important yeah, to you? Well, to we, um, uh, I, I think, you know, we always say that we're, we, we really start with Shakespeare in our company. And we always say, that, you know, the reason we're starting there is because it's these universal human stories. But tradition, but in the past, you know, the first eight or 10 years of the company, there's very little diversity in the company. So it's mostly, you know, mostly white people from a similar background that were, that were doing the plays, that were directing the plays, that were designing the plays. And if you're trying to say the stories are universal, but then you only allow certain voices in the room, well, how universal is that really going to be? So the first step is to just have people from more backgrounds coming into the room just to see what the, you know, just because so there's more life experience. Um, uh, what we found then is it's how do you the the challenge is once you have more once you have more voices in the room how do you make sure that that you really actually hear those voices that that you empower people to speak out and to speak their truth and to say well no I don't think that's I, I don't think that's how it is and that's the challenge that we're in the middle of right now and it really truly in 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 the Shakespeare world especially it goes right down to um, there's this sort of standard American stage speech that we use to speak Shakespeare. So we go to graduate school and we go to training programs and we learn how to speak Shakespeare. We learn the proper way of speaking Shakespeare. And then when you go to an audition, if you can demonstrate that you can speak Shakespeare in the, in the proper way, then you get cast into companies. Well, the problem with that is that way of speaking, that standard American speech is defined by people like me. And I grew up, you know, I grew up in a college town in the Midwest. So that sort of intellectual white, society, you know, is really defining what it is to speak Shakespeare. So what we do is we take people that have come from all different backgrounds and we sort of say, okay, learn how to talk like me first. Now, once you've learned how to speak, literally speak like me, then you can, then we'll allow your voice in the room. But then have we really brought those voices into the room? So, so the first step is really to allow people to speak the way that they can speak and, and really, I don't know, like a lot of actors have gone through a lot of training to say, don't, you know, don't talk that way. You can't say get, you have to say get, you have to like all of these very, very specific things that you have to do that does not allow you to use your actual voice in the room. And then on top of that is, you know, on top of that really is the question of, is the rehearsal hall that we're creating is, you know, at a, at a typical Shakespeare's festival or our Shakespeare festival, have we created a space that is really white space that we're expecting a certain kind of, you know, and I don't even really truly know what that means because it's, it's the culture that I grew up in. So I don't even necessarily see what the difference would be, but have we defined it in a way that is white space that doesn't allow people, you know, that doesn't allow, that doesn't allow people to be who they are, or that feels like they're in, they're in another space that doesn't feel like they're in their own space. And that, to be honest, is is that's the thing that we're in the middle of right now. Is how do we um, how do we allow the rehearsal room? How do we allow the theater? How do we allow the lobby? How do we allow all of those spaces to be something that is not just white space, but that is a space that belongs to all of us, that truly, truly belongs to all of us. Um, and we're making some, you know, I feel like at Great River, we make some progress in that direction. And then, you know, every time we turn around, there's one more thing to, you know, there's one more thing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. The, like you said yeah. earlier, we're all on our journeys and we're all learning. Uh, and once you learn one lesson, yeah. the next lesson is, yeah. is right around yeah. the corner. Yeah. At least you hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. At least you hope so. Uh, I was to ask you a little earlier, um, specifically about the young woman uh, who was referenced in the review, in the article about Macbeth. Um, how did you, as you know, a white male, how did you handle caring for and talking to this young woman um, that was talked about because of her body shape? She hadn't actually seen the review. And I don't, if we hadn't responded to it, I mean, it's in the local newspaper in Winona. So a lot of our patrons and our audience saw it. Honestly, if we hadn't called it out, I'm not a hundred percent convinced she would have seen it. She probably would have seen, she might've seen it. She might not have seen it. So that was actually a point of discussion before we did anything is to say, all right, if we're going to respond to this, then we've got to make her aware that this is, you know, that this is what is said. Um, but we thought that was appropriate just because, you know, we didn't, I really didn't want her finding it or hearing about it later and saying, you know, that the company had just ignored it or swept it under the, you know, swept it under the carpet. So we took the, you know, we, we took it to her. I told her, I met with her. I told her the gist of what it was. And I said, look, I'll show you the actual sentence if you want to see it. I, you know, I don't necessarily want to expose you to that, but, and she did, she wanted to read the whole review and she saw it. 
and actually then was grateful once she saw it because she said she said oh that wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be like she, um and then when we wrote the response uh we wrote it uh you know i authored the response but then i sent it out to a whole bunch of people including her um and said uh you know and said well what do you think about this and got a lot of comments back and then we had we had a discussion about that I thought it was important that it went out under the signature of the leadership of the company, um, which are, you know, the, the managing director, me, the artistic director, and then my associate artistic director, and then our marketing director, who is that's sort of the four people on the team who really kind of lead the company. We are all white. Um, and I thought it was important that it went out under the signature of the leadership of the company. And we, we had a discussion about that. And, and, you know, I certainly encourage people of color in the company, if they wanted to write their own things, if they wanted to do something that they could, but I didn't want to put it on them. I didn't want to put it on the people of color in the company to defend themselves from that. I thought it was important that, especially in a community like Winona that is largely white and a patron base that is largely white, that it was important that, um, it was important that the white leadership of the company was calling out other white people, that we were, uh, we were having that, we were taking responsibility for having that discussion. Um, and there were things, um, I, I think had the young woman who was referenced, you know, the things that she would have written. Well, for instance, our response, and this is, you know, th this is something that we'll continue to think about our response. Um, we gave, we we had a lot of hope that the writer was writing out of that had said what she said out of ignorance, out of sort of a lack of understanding of of what the impact of that comment would be. That it wasn't out of it wasn't as malicious. Um, for the young woman who was affected by the comment, she took it as the impact on there was was less. Um, it was it was more painful than that. It felt like more of an othering. Um, and again, that's. It's tricky because as a white person, I don't experience those kind of microaggressions all the time, you know, so I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it feels like to be othered in that way. So it's pretty easy for me to sort of give the benefit of the doubt to people and to say, we want to welcome everyone into our community. So here's a chance to be educated and learn. Um, and I think for the young woman who was affected, she's like, I don't know that this is a chance. This feels more intentional than that. Um, uh, and we left her to we left her to make that comment because it wasn't something it wasn't it wasn't something that I could get behind and it wasn't something that um, from a standpoint of the company it felt like a teachable moment for the community and I wanted to keep it in the sphere of a teachable moment for the community and I still don't know whether that was the right whether that's the right way to go um, whether that fully honors her response although in the end you know the young woman who was affected she she felt like it, you know the company really did have her back but. Um, had she written that, had she written the response, it would have been different. So yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole learning curve in the, yeah. in the, 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 the microaggressions thing. It is a really, I mean, again, as a white cis male, it is a hard, it's a hard thing to understand because I can't walk in the shoes of people that experience that. I can't, I can't ever really know what that feels like when that's coming at you all the time. So I want to live in a space where, and I want to be a company where people can learn and grow and, you know, make mistakes and then get better. Um, and I, and I want to be a space where we can encourage that. And, you know, and I probably err too far on the line of doing that and not sometimes saying, you know what, that's just malicious. Like you just, you know, we need to get, we need to get angrier about that. There's a world that I want to live in. So it's not, um, it is, it is, it is, I mean, we, we do this work for, we do this work for all of us because we really want to live in a world and the, the art is going to get richer. The community is going to get richer. Like if the, if all of those voices feel really free to express themselves, like we're just going to live in a better world. So it is, so I appreciate you, you know, I appreciate the thanks, but it's really true that there's a lot of self-interest in this. There is a world that I want to live in as much as everybody else wants to live in it. Community like Winona, it is, it is a place where people want to have the conversations. They they haven't yet, but it is a place where people do want to learn and they want to, you know, it's a it's a reasonably homogenous community. Um what is as those conversations are had, what we're learning in Winona is there is um, you know, there's some there's some really serious issues. Uh, the um the the rates of, you know, African Americans represent about I think it's something like eight percent of the students at Winona High School, and they represent seventy percent of the people that have been expelled from Winona High School. So there's some like there's some really serious issues in the community, but 
and the community is really you know is is trying to take a is trying to take a look at some of those or aspects of the community and i feel like we can we can be part of that um we can be part of that if we can be a space where people can come together and you know and make mistakes and learn it's you know it's hard in the it's hard in this day and age because we are so polarized people so dig in their heels um that it's it's hard to have a real it's hard to have a real conversation that can lead to real change right now and you know, hopefully the theater can maybe be a place where, where some of that happens, but it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a long road. It's a, it's a, it's a tough slog. And as I say, is you know, um, it is a continual process of waking up for, um, for someone like me, because I haven't, you know, most of, I, I haven't experienced most of what I'm learning about now is stuff that I'm not experiencing directly. I'm just hearing about, um, Shakespeare Festival had a had an incident um, in their community, and you know it got sort of everybody thinking about well, what happens if there's a racially charged incident uh, in your community? And so, I was trying to have conversations with um, people of color in in my company, and I had a young African American man, and I asked him, you know, so what is it like being in Winona as a young African American male? And he said, uh, he said, oh, it's great. He said, I, you know, I feel really welcome in Winona. Like I think it's really terrific. Um, and then he said, I have not, and then he thought about it for a second. He said, I have not felt physically in danger one single time when I've been in Winona. Um, and for me, as a white man, I thought, oh, like it was a huge wake up moment for me because I just thought, oh my God, that's the standard. Like that's, that's where the bar is for, for a uh, young African-American man is if I don't feel physically in danger, then I must be, then I must be welcomed. Because I'll tell you what, that is not the experience of being a white man in Winona. Like that, the being physically in danger is completely off the radar. Like that's not that's not part of my experience. So a huge wake up moment for me. And then there's you know, just it just keeps being a progression after that. Mm. What advice would you give to other artistic directors? Who- Your audience is ready, and I think you know I think most artistic directors are responding that way. Um, you the 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 hardest thing is to create is to create a space where um where you know where people of color where women where people who are transgendered where you know all of these sort of marginalized group where they really actually feel like they can tell you what they actually think and that's it's going to be an ongoing process and you have to ask and ask and ask and ask and then you have to really genuinely respond to the needs um it's you know it's it's tricky like me i mean i've been in a privileged position my whole life you lose some of that privilege and it feels like you really feel like you feel like you're being attacked so it's hard and you have to keep reminding yourself of that and you have to put that to the side and yeah i don't know it's 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 you just have, you you have to keep asking like you just have to you have to make sure that people are really hearing and then you have to own your mistakes i mean you have to be willing to say yep that's right and you can't i mean the thing i learned as an artistic director you can't do everything that you want to do you can do some of it and you're going to make mistakes and people are going to be mad about it and you go as far as you can go and then the next year you try and go a little bit further and yeah but it's it's man it's it's so about just creating that space where people feel like they can actually speak out yeah, you go as far as you can go, and then you go a little further. That is awesome. If you could have this beautiful opportunity to enter a room oh. and sitting on the oh sofa with five-year-old Doug, oh, what would you say? You know, I would tell I, I would tell myself at five to get out of my comfort zone a little bit earlier. Because yeah, that's that's that would be the big advice I would give is to say, hey, you know, like get out there where it's not safe. Or get out there where get out there where you feel like you're challenging yourself a little bit more and a little bit faster. Probably the biggest advice I'd give myself. I love that interview. And let me tell y'all a secret. The interview wasn't supposed to come out until like November, but after taping it, after recording it with Doug, I was like, you know what? It's now. Now is the time. My gut was just like do it now um it's relevant now people need to hear it now um and so i decided to put it out this week one thing i really enjoyed about the episode was about the interview i'm sorry was that doug took full responsibility right one and two 
it became clear that this is a fight that we all have to fight. This is everybody's thing, right? This isn't just the curvy community's thing. This is everybody's thing. We are all responsible for educating each other. And if you were to see Doug, he is not curvy in any form or fashion. There's nothing curvy about Doug. Um, so it, it's not necessarily a movement that he can directly respond to, right? Or direct, not directly respond to, but directly identify with, right? But he knew that he was in a position where he had to defend those who did not have a defense at that time. And so um, what I really learned is that like, it's on all of us, right? And that in this movement, we're not alone. We have allies and we have people that we can depend on to come to bat with us. We got this. We are a community. We have community around us and uh, we are going to thrive because of it. And we are headed in the right direction. We got this. And guess what? Little boys and little girls who are curvy growing up, they're going to see us and they're going to say, because they did, we can. Y'all know how we end this out. We end this out with three, with, ooh, I don't know how we end this out. We end this out with 10 deep breaths to send each other off in love. And then we close it with affirmations. This is my second favorite part of the episode because I feel like it really binds us and connects us as a family. So on your own time, you may close your eyes. If you're driving, don't do that. But uh, you may close your eyes and begin to take 10 deep breaths. After that, I will begin to lead us in affirmations uh, and close us out. I am here. I am connected to the earth. I trust my ability to thrive and survive. I am creative, sensual, and expressive. I am love. I am cared for. I am supported. I love easily and effortlessly. Love is all around me. I am unapologetically me. My voice has a place. My intuition is strong. I trust my intuition. I am connected to God. He is connected to me. We are one. Thank you, family. Thank you for joining this episode. I hope that it inspired you and blessed you in some way. I am so honored to be on this journey with you. Thank you for allowing me into your spaces once a week for 12 weeks. Um, you really make my day. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. See you next week. Bye-bye.